So over the course of the summer, we've been looking at two words in English in the original languages of the Bible. Um, this would only be one word, and we've been thinking about this little words. So hopefully the PowerPoint will come up behind me in just a minute. They're working at it on the back. Uh, and that little word is one another. Here we go. There we go, one another. As you can see from this slide that we've used every week, this word is used a lot in the New Testament. Um, it's used a total of 33 different occasions. Uh, over a hundred times this word is used to encourage and remind Christians especially how important it is to be in a community. And the values of that community are not about me, but it's about us. It's about us growing together as a community, being a family together, and treating one another the way God would have us treat one another, and to model that. Many times, unfortunately and sadly, churches don't do that. Um, that's not because they're following the teachings of Jesus, because they're not doing what he said they, they should do, but when we do follow Jesus' teachings and become more like him, then we become an example to the world around us of how God wants this world to function by loving one another, by encouraging one another, by living in harmony with one another, by caring, by honoring, by uh, encouraging, forgiving one another. All of these qualities are human qualities, not just Christian qualities. They're basic human values that God wants to see in his world. And he calls us as Christians to live these out. And so today, we're going to go for the next one, which is teach one another, something that's very close to my heart. I remember the first time I preached at Central was from the book of James. Hopefully, some of you will remember that. And there's a little verse in James 3, verse 1, which says this. And I remember I had just recently become a Christian, started to follow Jesus, and I was studying and reading this book, and this verse hit me like a brick. It says, let there not be many teachers among you because they will be held to greater account than all others. That's a translation paraphrase of it. And I went, wow, to be a teacher must be a very, very serious responsibility in the eyes of God. And it is. Little did I know that eventually one day God would call me to leave my home in Northern Ireland, my job in banking. And uh, I would go to study and train to be a pastor and to teach others. But that verse has always, always lived with me. How serious it is to handle this book, to le learn it, to study it, to preach it, to teach it to other people. God says, um, this is a very, very high calling uh, and a big responsibility. And so um, we're going to look at the passage in just a moment in Colossians 3, where this word is referred to. But first of all, an earlier verse in Colossians, just to set the context. Um, in this book called Colossians, um, Paul is concerned that the Christians in this city really understand the importance of following the teachings of Jesus. Because there were other teachings around that they were tempted to follow. And this is what he says in chapter 2. He says, just as you have received, sorry you can't read all these words, but trust me, this is what it says. Just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him, being rooted, built up in him, strengthened in the faith 
as you were taught, there's that word teaching, and overflowing with thankfulness. So he's basically saying, just as you've all come to hear about Jesus, as you've come to follow his teachings, continue in that, be rooted in that, go deep, deep down in your faith. Don't be shallow in your faith. And if you go deep, you will be able to be built up and become strong. See to it, he goes on to say, that no one takes you captive through any hollow or deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental forces or principles of this world rather than on Christ. There are all kinds of views, all kinds of voices, all kinds of teachings in this world that people seek to live their lives by. And it was the same in the first century. And he says, remember, you're ultimately called to follow one teacher, one voice, and that is the voice of Jesus. He says, in Christ, in Jesus, all the fullness of Godhead lives in bodily form, and you have been brought to fullness in him. I was reading that verse in a couple of other translations this week, and this is what it says in them. Everything you ever need to know about God is found in Jesus. And anything you ever need to live your life can be found in a relationship with him. In the message it says this, everything about God is fully expressed in Jesus. So you can all now see and hear clearly how God wants you to live. You don't need a telescope, a microscope, or a horoscope to understand Jesus. Just open the Bible and see how full it is of him. And so that's what Paul wants these Christians to do. So let's go to the bit where it talks about teaching. This is what Paul says to them in Colossians 3. He said, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, this is what you were called to and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you abundantly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom with psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude or grace in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God through him. And so three things I want to highlight in this passage. First of all, there it is, right in the center. Paul is passionately concerned that these Christians would teach and admonish one another. And notice, this is a corporate thing. It's not just the responsibility of a pastor or a leader in the church. It's the responsibility of all of the church, all of the members of the church, to get engaged and to be involved in this. But notice he doesn't just say teach. He adds to it another word. He says admonish. And that word literally means to warn something or to warn someone about something. It's a very strong word. And it's not just, you know, teach one another and just kind of let it go out there. He says, no, remember, encourage each other to follow this teaching and warn one another when you're not following this teaching. Because that's actually the loving thing to do. To see someone walk away from this teaching and follow something else is not a loving thing to do. So teach and warn or admonish one another in all wisdom. 
But it's not just teaching in general. Notice how it starts. He says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts and let the word of Christ dwell or live in you, inhabit your lives richly or abundantly. In other words, that's what we are to teach. We don't just teach our own ideas. We don't teach our own doctrines, our own philosophy. We teach people the word of Christ. We teach people his words. We teach people about the peace of Christ, the way of Christ. And so together, Paul is saying, teach people how to follow the way of Jesus, which leads to peace in their relationships and in the world, and teach people the word of Christ, which is ultimately something that can, can build you up and actually save your life. And why do we do this? Look at the bit at the bottom. Because it's all about action. When we teach people how to follow the way of Jesus, when we teach people the words of Jesus, it, it is lived out in what we do. Whatever you do, he says, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. So that, in a nutshell, that's what Paul's heart is for, and that's what we're looking at today. How do we teach people the words of Jesus? And when we teach one another the words of Jesus, what does that look like in our lives? How do we live that out in our lives? And as a church family here in Edinburgh, what does that look like for us to teach one another, encourage one another to follow the words of Jesus? Some of you today are visual learners, um, I know that because I know a few of you have told me that. So here's a visual image of what I've just been saying for those who maybe struggle to learn that. <clears throat> the basic values that Paul wants to get across to us are peace and words. Those are the two key things which he wants to be in, in, in dwelling richly and living in the lives of his church, of his people. And as God's people, we're there encouraged to teach and to learn from one another. It's a corporate exercise. And when we do that, we live it out in, in our actions. Recently, these phrases are, are phrases I've been learning as I've been hanging out with other church leaders in Scotland. And there are people in our own church family like Kay Cathcart and Rich Robinson and others who've used these phrases in past years to teach us what it means to be a church. The phrases are learning communities and communities of practice. Churches should be communities that we're learning together. We never ever arrive, never arrive. We're constantly learning what it means to be a community that lives the way of Jesus and lives out the words of Jesus. And when we learn those things, we become a community that seeks to practice them, to put them into action in our lives. And these are phrases that are used very, very commonly today in, in literature, in Christian books, and in movements all over the world, like um, the Forge Network that, that we've been part of in past years. We are supposed to be a learning and a practicing community. So that's what we're looking at today. But let's go back to Jesus, because ultimately, he is our example. His words are the words that we need to learn. His teaching are the teachings we need to follow. His way is the way that we live our lives. And as I said in my kind of prayer at the beginning or my words at the beginning, when Christians do this, God blesses it, but communities change. And communities start to see that God is real in all kinds of practical ways. I, I've given you examples in the past of how we did this in my last church in Glasgow through our food bank ministry. 
And as we learned and made lots of mistakes, but as we put that into practice and tried to create a community hub where people would not just get food, but they would be listened to, they would be valued, they would be shown that they're worth something in this life. And many people who came in had no sense of self-worth, had no purpose anymore in their lives, felt that life was almost had gone by. And we didn't just give them food, but we gave them a sense of worth and meaning. Sometimes we prayed for them, sometimes we just uh, just encouraged them to keep on going. And we saw many, many, many times, many stories of people who started to get that and realized that they were with something, that there was a God in heaven who made them and loved them and that they were precious to him. And I could give many examples of that, but that's what we're talking about when we follow Jesus, the teacher. If any of you are interested, there's a lady, an American author called Lois Fairberg, I think that's how you pronounce it. She's from uh, Warren's part of America up in Minnesota. She's written three books in this, Sitting at the Feet of Rabbi Jesus, Walking in the Dust of Rabbi Jesus, and Reading the Bible with Rabbi Jesus. And um, uh, I've only just dipped into one of these books, but they are quite incredible. Because what she does is she takes us back to the first century, and she imagines us walking around in Israel or in Palestine, following Jesus, listening to his words in his context. So what does it mean to follow Jesus as our teacher? When Jesus first appeared, John the Baptist saw him and he pointed to him and he says, look, there is the Lamb of God. When the two disciples, that's the followers of John the Baptist, heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, this Jewish word for teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. The whole of the ministry of Jesus is summed up in that. Jesus came to call people to follow him. Not to follow someone else's teachings, but to follow his teachings. Many other religious leaders in this world point away from themselves. Follow God. Follow the teachings. Don't follow me. But Jesus said the opposite. Jesus said, no, follow me. Follow what I say. Follow how I live my life. And if you follow me, you will see and encounter God. You will encounter God. God will become real to you. And in particular, he taught how God was a father. Come, follow me. And Jesus, the rabbi, the teacher, called people to follow him. When Jesus then proceeded to teach, these verses come just afterwards. The very first time we hear Jesus teaching, it says this. When the Sabbath came, Jesus went into the synagogue and he began to teach. And look at the reaction. The people were amazed at his teaching because he taught them as one who had authority, not as the teachers of the law. The people were amazed and asked one another, what is this, a new teaching? And with such authority that he commands even unclean spirits and they obey him. I don't know about you, but I would absolutely love to have heard Jesus. I would love to have you know, been in the background of one of these synagogues or walked along the street or sat on a hillside and just listened to the teaching of Jesus. There was something about Jesus' teaching that was magnetic. People couldn't get enough of it. 
um, and, and, and whether they were poor or from other countries or, or felt ashamed in their lives, people were drawn to Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. Not just because of the words that he said, but if you see this, because of the impact that those words had in his society and in his lives. There were people who were bound in all kinds of evil. And Jesus' words set people free. There were people who were lost and, and, and they sensed that they were found again. There were people who were broken and hurting and, 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 and felt that their lives were falling apart. And Jesus put them back together and they were healed again through the words, the power of the words of Jesus. So what did he do? How did Jesus do all this? How did he teach people? What did he teach people? Jesus basically taught people the Bible, the Hebrew Bible. That was his food. He said on one occasion, my food is to do the work of God, fulfill his teaching. And elsewhere, the Bible is described like food. Jesus ate the word of God. He, he took it in himself. He learned it. And then he shared that with others. And as he did, he did it in three ways. In the Hebrew Bible, there was three different parts. The first part of the Hebrew Bible is called the law. The second part are called the prophets. And then the third part are called the writings. And what Jesus did was, first of all, he started to instruct people and teach people from the law. The law is a, a bad word. Okay? We, it's not a really good word for us to understand what the Bible was. A better word is instruction. And what, is, what was that? He taught people where they came from. That there's a loving God who made this world and made people in his image. He taught them why this world was broken and suffering because we turn ourselves away from God. We turn our backs on God. He taught them from the Torah how God loved people, how God called a man called Abraham and then through him promised he was going to bless the whole world. These were the basic instructions. They also taught them how to worship God, how to follow him. He taught them how they were once liberated and set free. All of these are basic principles in what's called the Torah. And Jesus came to teach these principles and said, all of these things have come to be fulfilled in me. Secondly, he taught them what we call the history books of the Bible, but in the Hebrew Bible, they're called the prophets. Why are they called the prophets? Because these men would come from God, and they would speak the words of God to the leaders who then had to follow those words, men like David. But they never quite arrived. They tried to follow God and live with God as their ruler, as part of God's kingdom, but they constantly, constantly failed. And all the kings and that came along, some of them were good, some of them were bad, some of them were so-so. Mm, they never, ever, ever achieved what God had promised. And so they were looking forward to one day when God would come himself. And he would send a king into this world who would set up God's kingdom and rule this world with peace and justice forever. And Jesus taught about that and said, that's why I've come. And then thirdly, he taught the writings, the wisdom of, of books like Proverbs and Job and Ecclesiastes, these books in the Old Testament. And he taught people how to make good choices and live wisely. And so basically, Jesus became a rabbi. He became a teacher. He became a prophet to say, God's kingdom is here right now. And he called people like a wise man to follow those teachings in their lives. Jesus as a rabbi teaches us that God is a loving father 
As a prophet, he tells us that God's kingdom has come. And as a wise man, he calls us to follow those teachings in our lives today. So that's how he did it. And as Christians, we seek to follow that even in our lives today. As Christians, though, we believe that we're called to teach too. Before Jesus left this world and went back to heaven, it says this. He left instructions to us. He says, go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and doing what? Teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. That's our mission. That is our purpose for being here as Christians. We are called to follow Jesus as disciples. We're called to, to follow him in baptism. And we practice that as this church. And I hope in my time here, we will open, it's right over here, this tank and baptize lots of people into the name of Jesus, his Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But we're called to teach, teach people to obey all that Jesus commanded them to do. And that's what the first Christians did. The day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it says they did this. They continued steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles and fellowship, breaking of bread and prayers. They devoted themselves to it. This was, this was as I said earlier, like their foods. This is what they lived on and, 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 and shaped them and formed them so that they could become a, a people that were like Jesus. They committed to this teaching. So as we draw this to a close this morning, I want us to go back to that original passage and ask, well, well what does this look like? How do we do it? When we teach one another, and in, in our church we have communities, those who are visiting us, we're a church that gathers together on a Sunday, but during the week and, and once a month we, we don't gather in this building, we meet in our communities. Over 30 communities all over Edinburgh. In those communities, we try to put this into practice. Really, that's where we learn. Uh, on a Sunday, it's good to gather and worship and maybe hear a message. Hopefully, it's inspiring. But this is not really learning. This is encouraging and challenging you that to take these things away and in your communities to discuss it to wrestle with it, to pray about it, to encourage one another, maybe sometimes to warn one another of how do we actually do this. And I would encourage you, if you're part of this church and you're not part of a community, get plugged into a community this year. That's where this stuff will become real to you and you'll start to work it out. And in our communities, we do this. We instruct one another in how to change. We pray for one another as we're all changing to become more like Jesus. That's how we live it out. But secondly, we disciple one another. We are followers of Jesus and we disciple one another how to make good choices in our lives, just as it says to do this in all wisdom. We help one another to make good choices and, and to go the right way. And thirdly, we help one another to worship. That's the whole part about hymns, spiritual songs and singing and to be grateful. I want to finish this morning though, and I, I think I'm gonna do this most weeks when I, I preach. I've, I've been here for a few months and I've done this before. I want to tell you a story. So I'm gonna finish this morning by telling you a story of a man who lived quite a long time ago, but as I've kind of looked into his life, he captures and encapsulates the essence of what it is to be a teacher. A man who embodied 
learning and understanding and teaching in his life and pass that on for many, many generations of others. Many of you will know nothing about him. Some of you, if you've studied a little bit of theology or you've gone to college, you may know his name, but you maybe not know about him. So I'm going to tell you his story before I hand back to Johnny and the team to worship. And, and I do this every week because it's really good to learn stories. Not just like verses and principles from the Bible. But when you hear the story of someone who put these things into practice, it kind of comes alive to you and you go, wow, he did that. Oh, wow, if only I could follow example of someone like this. So here he is. We have no idea what he looked like because he lived um, in the second century. But that's one of the pictures of him. Not a very pleasant looking man. But let me tell you his story. His name is Origen. He lived in Egypt in the city of Alexandria. And um, as, a, as a young man, he was brought up by Christian parents. His father was a teacher, both in the local church, and his father taught philosophy in a local academy. His mother was a keen Christian. And according to what they say, every single day of his life, just like little Cora, who you saw dedicated today, every single day his father taught him a verse of the Bible. He would teach him in the morning, and when little Origen came home from school at night, he would say, what did I teach you today? Repeat the verse. Every single day as he grew up as a little boy, until he was a teenager, he learned a verse of the Bible every day. Origen's life changed when he turned 17. In those times, it wasn't easy to be a Christian. It depended upon the, the, the ruling authorities whether they, they treated you kindly or well or whether they persecuted you. And when he was 17 years old, um, persecution broke out against Christians again. The Roman emperor, a man called Severus, demanded that any Christians who openly practiced their faith were to be arrested. If they didn't change, they were to be uh, tortured. And if they still didn't change, they would be executed. And Origen's father, Leonidas, was arrested. He refused to, 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 to turn away from his faith, and his father was killed. When Origen heard that his father was going to be killed, he wanted to die with his father. And his mother hid all of his clothes. And so the only way Origen would have gone would be to run naked through the town, and he didn't do it. And Origen's father was killed. As a result of this, his family were left destitute and impoverished. They had nothing. Even their home was taken away from them. Origen was the eldest of nine children, and they felt a responsibility to care for his mother and his brothers and sisters. So he went out and he got a job teaching in a local, kind of a Christian school, where they would teach young Christians the ways of Jesus, the words of Jesus. And what they would do is they would gather these young Christians, they would teach them for about a year, and at the end of the year, they would baptize them. And so he was 18 years old, and he was given a job at this school where he would teach people how to follow Jesus. As he was at this school, he chose to live in a very, very simple lifestyle, really to provide for his family. He lived in poverty. He deprived himself. He walked in barefoot. He only ever owned one coat. He refused to drink alcohol. He lived in a very simple diet, and he would fast every single week. A prominent man in the city became a Christian. His name was Ambrose, and he was so impressed with Origen, he gave him seven secretaries to help him in his teaching, and he said, I will pay for anything you ever want to publish and write, and he did that through his whole life. 
In the and when he was in his 20s, he moved on to become an even more famous teacher, uh, and he started teaching people. But the local bishop of the town that he lived in was threatened by him. Origen was a bit too big for his boots, according to him. And so he constantly re uh, opposed Origen's teaching. Even though he continued to teach people, um, he wrote the very first book on theology that we still use today. In his 20s, another persecution broke out. This time they came after him and he fled from Alexandria and went to, to Israel and lived in the town of Caesarea. And there he started the teaching and preaching in the churches. But again, old Demetrius, the bishop of Alexandria, he didn't like this and he ordered them to send him home. On his way home, he found a scroll of the Hebrew Bible and he brought it with him. And he treasured it. He's got in his own hands. Don't forget in those days, they didn't have this. You couldn't go and buy one of these in a shop. He found a Hebrew Bible, a scroll. And he was given it because of um, all that he'd done for the Christians. And he brought it back. And for the rest of his life, he started to, to study and teach the Hebrew Bible. He left this incredible, incredible amount of, of books. Over 2,000 books all based on the Bible and how to understand it, how to understand the Christian faith. He, he would be like an apologist where he would defend the faith against skeptics and the atheists of his day. Incredible man. Eventually, um, he start, set up his own center of learning and education in Caesarea. He established a great school there and people would come from all over the Mediterranean world to hear him teach, sit at his feet, even atheists and, and pagans would come to listen to him. And according to records, many of these men became Christians. Eventually, another persecution broke out. There was a plague and the Christian emperor blamed the plague on the Christians. Origen was arrested. He was taken and he was beaten terribly. He was tortured under all kinds of threats to give up his faith and he refused to give up his faith. There was a Roman emperor who did this eventually. He died, but because of all the beatings that he endured, two years after this, Origen eventually gave up his life. He was 69 years old. And he's widely referred to and regarded as the greatest scholar and most influential teacher the church has ever seen. Before he died, he wrote a book on becoming a martyr. What would it be like to give up your life, your very life for Jesus? And eventually he lived that. This man who lived so long ago embodied everything I'm trying to convey to you today. He loved, loved the words of, of, of Jesus. He wanted to teach them to anyone who would listen. And eventually, despite all that he went through, he gave his very life for this. My brothers, my sisters, and friends, people gathered here today, this is what God wants of us. He wants us to learn. He wants us to take his words into our heart. He wants us to make them part of our lives, to learn what it is to live out the teachings of Jesus in the 21st century today. And I challenge all of us in this church and all of you here today to take this seriously. Take these words, make them part of your life and watch how your life will change if you start to follow and live out the teachings of Jesus. Let's pray before the worship team come back. Lord, we thank you today for your words. 
We thank you for the gift of your word, how you've given it to us. We thank you for men like Origen and many, many others who down through the years have sought to teach that faithfully to others in their lives, even to the point of giving up their lives so that people will hear the words of Jesus. Thank you, Lord, that we are called to do that today and help us as a church family to take that seriously. Help us to, to live that out in our lives. And we pray that your word will, will ring out from this church, will ring out from our lives, and that people will hear the words of Jesus afresh today in our society, that his words will be heard. So many people, Lord, so many people in our city uh, are lost, are broken, are are, are looking for answers and meaning and purpose in their lives. Help us, help us, Lord, to live out and share the words of Jesus, the life-giving words of Jesus, which can change any human being, no matter how lost they feel, can change any community and any society, can change a country, and can change our world. So God, help us to be people who carry those words with us when we leave this place today. In Jesus' name, amen.